trustees here at La Jolla Community Church, and great to see you. Good morning and welcome. I'm Dominic Nuncio. I'm the executive pastor of ministries here. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here, and I'm going to give back to Nicole. Awesome. Well, we'd like to connect with you, so if you've never filled out one of these connect cards in the bulletin, please do it. Let us know that you're here. Uh, let us know your email address so we can get connected to the e-newsletter, and that'll keep you posted on all of the wonderful things happening here in the life of the church and help us reach out to you and just develop a relationship with you because we're a family of families here. So take a, just a couple of seconds. If you've got a prayer request, write it down, and then we're going to share some exciting events coming up with you. So just take a few seconds to do that for us.
what's happening next weekend? Well, thanks for taking the time to pray. Uh, next weekend, everybody write this down. I just want you and repeat it back to me. No worship services next Sunday. No, no Thanks for letting me know. I won't be here either. What, instead of doing our traditional gathering as a church, we are going to be the church, which is the people of God. It's not a place. It's the people of God going on mission to go and be the church all throughout our community. And so if you haven't already signed up, we want to just take a few seconds and say, we want you to sign up. This is an all play. If you're a roller skater, it was an all skate event. Everybody on the floor to skate. This is not a time to stay in your PJs. This is not a time to check out another church. This is a time to be with us and serve our community around you. And you're going to hear all morning why the importance and the privilege that we have to serve and partner with what God is doing in our lives and in the lives of others. So we're going to take a moment and bring up one of our own who is going to be uh, leading one of the projects, seven projects that we're doing, 67 other projects represented from two other churches that are also participating around San Diego County. This is Mark Paulson. Say hi to Mark. Mark, why in the world are you going to give your Sunday to go and serve other people? Uh, I don't know. No, I'm just uh, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity, and, and um, one, of the, one of my favorite parts of scripture is the description of the early church in Acts 2, uh, where it talks about how uh, the early church, they devoted themselves to prayer, the apostles' teaching, uh, worship, they broke bread together, and, and we do a lot of that at a church, as a church, and one of the things that the early church did as well is they met the needs of those around them. And um, the Lord added to their number daily. And I know for me, sometimes I'm good at like taking in more information. I love reading. I love coming to church, worshiping, hearing the sermons, taking notes. I love our life group times. But I don't always enter into the community and um, give myself to meeting the needs of the, the people around me. So I'm excited to just take a Sunday as, a, as the body of Christ to do that. And to do it together and kind of do life together and experience um, building relationships through serving together. And so what an opportunity for us to do that together. So I, I invite you to join, join us in doing that next Sunday. Thank you. So a few housekeeping things. If you haven't signed up already, we want you to go to ljcc.org now and sign up today. Registration closes by Friday, so it's really important that you sign up. Again, it's an all-skate event. We want all of you to participate, not because it makes us feel better about ourselves and all the work that we've done towards it, because we want what's best for you, and we really believe that when we serve together and we move like this and we move like this doing stuff, stuffing envelopes for the glory of God, licking stamps for the glory of God, writing notes to wounded warriors, picking up trash off the beach, so many different things, loving our first responders. There's the something tangible about the kingdom here as it is in heaven, and we want you to be a part of it. So sign up today. A note, you'll see people like this next Sunday wearing these shirts. That's your site leader. If you sign out on the forum, you'll hear from your site leader this week saying, thanks for joining our crew. Here's what you can expect. We can't wait to see you. I'm serving at Stanley Middle School. Sorry, slots are full. Um, but there's lots of St. Jude for you. So yeah, please sign up. Downtown Barb Garber is leading a group at the Third Ch Avenue Charitable Organization. She could use about six more people to help out with that. So if you don't mind rolling up your sleeves and helping organize that kitchen, that would be amazing. Yes. 
Thank you. All right, so let's move on to an event just for women. We have the Women's Tea coming up on Saturday, March 2nd, and that's going to be right here in the sanctuary. Women of the church, feel free to invite anybody in your community that you just want to enjoy a day with. The theme is Abide, and we're going to have so much fun just spending time with each other, encouraging one another, and eating some delicious food as well. So definitely sign up for that out on the patio as well. And then mark your calendars for Ash Wednesday. We have a midweek service coming up March 6th. That's at 6.30, and we have a special guest coming. His name is Tuvia, and he's one of the founders of Jews for Jesus. And he's going to talk about the elements of the Seder and how the Passover really points us to Jesus. So it's going to be a really interesting, amazing night, and so we invite you to come and be a part of that as well. So last week, we had the Homeless Bake Sale, and we raised a lot of money, you guys. You guys raised a lot of money. So we're going to watch a short video and uh, see how that went. Tuvia Zaretsky, one of the founders of Jews for Jesus, will be with us. This uh, is no less significant in that about 13 years ago, Kathy Webster uh, started uh, Carbohydrates for Jesus. And that's what this is. Uh, this is um, Carbohydrates for Jesus in that you, you, you got a righteous affirmation last week for buying uh, baked goods that would result in 2,500 bucks being released again to help uh, homeless people. Uh, awesome, fantastic. Uh, we are continuing this series on connecting with community. We talked for the month of January about connecting with God. And one of the things we talked about was uh, our creative work. Creative work simply being the work that you show up to do, however mundane or exalted it is, but you show up ready to, to uh, give it your all. And then uh, last week, uh, Greg Eller did a brilliant job talking about um, contagious friendship. And you heard a great story with, with uh, Carrie Paulson and Tanya Eller talking about their experience of contagious friendship. Uh, you put those two things together, what do you get? You get connecting with community through imaginative collaboration. It's a big long term. But I, I have this picture here, not because I was, I was car shopping uh, recently, but because this vehicle to me is such a perfect uh, example of imaginative uh, collaboration. Uh, it is called the Mars Rover. It's been up on Mars for six and a half years now doing this incredible mission. Uh, and let me just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, first of all, it costs $2.5 billion. 
Uh, and for that, you get 17 cameras, six wheels, uh, and a lot of other uh, interesting things. No cup holder, apparently, uh, in, installed in this thing, but everything else you need is there. Uh, it gets about three feet, it goes about three feet per minute. Three feet per minute. Uh, so it's safe to drive. Um, it has insanely good mileage. It, it, it got to Mars after an eight-month, 352-million-mile journey. And they landed it within a mile and a half of their target spot. And in the six and a half years, almost seven years that it's been there, it's produced so much information through all these multiple systems that were installed on this thing. So, so the reason it's an imaginative collaboration issue for me is that just like Kathy 13 years ago said, hey, you know, I drive by homeless people all the time. Uh, what can I do? Just me, not much. Oh, I know, I'll get my husband Bill. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden she realized, you know what, what if we put teams together, different teams that owned one day of the week, and they could recruit more people to be on their teams. We'd have a sustainable impact on, on desperately, I mean, these are desperately homeless people. These aren't people between apartments. These are people who are chronically homeless. So imaginative collaboration starts with somebody's big ideas. I'm sure there was some brilliant man or woman sitting at JPL, Jet Propulsion Labs, having just graduated from Caltech, sitting there in La Cañada at GPL going, wouldn't it be awesome? I just went golfing this weekend. What if I could do one of those to go to Mars? And then it took hundreds and hundreds of dedicated, incredibly uh, disciplined and creative, uh, highly educated people to, to create this amazing Mars rover. Do you know what it's called? It has a name, Curiosity. They got that name because they did a, a contest across the country for, for students. And a sixth grade girl in a small town in Kansas came up with the, the name Curiosity in this beautiful essay talking about why uh, she thinks it should be called Curiosity. So they invited her to JPL. They had her write her name on the thing and then they sent it to Mars. Um, which would be a great thing for her parents, by the way. Honey, you do that one more time, I'm sending you to Mars. You know, so you get, get a little leverage out of it as well. Uh, so imaginative, imaginative collaboration is our focus today. And the reason I spend this much time just talking about this picture is that if you can capture the complexity of this, and yet the simplicity of this, hey, let's make a rover, we'll drop it on Mars with a parachute, it'll cruise around for six, seven years, maybe a dozen, uh, we'll get a bunch of data at, at, at every level that we want to know about life before or possibly the future on Mars, and then we'll call it a day. What do you think? We'll go out to dinner and get pizza. Um, it sounds so simple, yet it's so complex. Uh, this, this is the intersection of creative work and contagious friendship. So, um, I, I saw this picture, and I, I love this picture. This is a bunch of hot air balloons flying over Cappadocia. You've probably seen this over flying over Rancho Santa Fe. Uh, Cappadocia is a region in Turkey uh, that was a hotbed for the movement of Jesus uh, in the second, third, fourth centuries. Um, and now it's just a UNESCO site where people want to float over in a balloon. But at some point, you have to come to the point in your life where you say, it's fun to float, but eventually you need to land. There's a lot of folks who, uh, have you heard of Jonathan Haidt? Jonathan Haidt is a brilliant academic guy, a very popular writer, has a best-selling book out. Um, and, and one of his conclusions is that we are made with a, a component for spirituality. 
I know it's a big aha moment. You're already thinking, no doubt. But what's big about this is in his wrestling with it in a very public way, is that Jonathan Haidt presents and identifies as an atheist. He said, I've come to the, the conclusion that we have, a, we have a need to be spiritual. How do you reconcile that if you're an atheist? And so Jonathan Haidt is a guy floating around going, I'm looking at the terrain. I think there's something down, down there that's spiritually significant. I don't have a category for that. Then also, there's a massive amount of people who identify as Christians, but when they're surveyed by Gallup or other surveys, uh, they write none. What community are you committed to? They put none. They're called the nuns. They don't wear habits, they're not part of the Catholic Church, but they're the N-O-N-E apostrophe S's. And it's a big issue in our culture right now. If you've, I don't know if you follow this at all. There is a larger group of people emerging as nuns then there are people saying, I identify with the movement of Jesus and I'm connected to a local community of Jesus. So if you press these people and say, so are you an atheist? No. Are you a deist? Yeah, but more than that. Are you a Christian? Yes. Then why are you not part of the community? And have all these reasons why they're not. Well, I grew up in the church and I didn't see my parents take it seriously, so why would I? Or I've been so indoctrinated into the way our culture sees everything when I hear what the church teaches, what the church believes, I find it off-putting and offensive. And so I'm floating. I'm floating. It's fun to float. Fun in the sense that you don't have to commit. It's not messy up in the sky. Floating, you got your flute and champagne, you're eating, nibbling on snacks, looking at, wow, Cappadocia, very pretty. But here's the deal. The church exists to say, come in for a landing. Come in for a landing. Uh, but how do you get people to be willing to do that? Uh, clearly, it's the movement of God's spirit nudging a person to do that. But it's also the result of people bumping up into people who are followers of Jesus, who are significantly committed to the community of Jesus. I read an amazing book. I, I, by the way, um, uh, my fake FM DJ voice today uh, is the result of being just down super sick for two weeks, seriously sick. And then um, the last week I got the all clear, but I still sound like I, I'm a train wreck. But um, I, 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 first first 12 days I couldn't read anything. I was just sleeping and I was out of it. But the last few days uh, of bed rest, uh, quarantine, I read a book called Surprised by Oxford by Carolyn Weber. Uh, this is a book everybody in this room needs to immediately download on their Kindle or buy in the store or order from Amazon or wherever you get your books. If you go on Kindle, it's a dollar ninety-nine. It's one of the best books I've read in the last year. So I I I, I don't know why it's a dollar ninety-nine. Uh, this is a woman who went to Oxford uh, as a graduate student, as an atheist, and in the process of going to Oxford University, getting a master's degree and a PhD, becoming a professor and the first woman dean ever at at, at uh, uh, um, Peter's College, Oxford became a follower of Jesus. She was so heavily defended against Jesus, uh, it was kind of disruptive when she started meeting people at Oxford who were followers of Jesus and were not in the nun category. There were people who said, because I'm a follower of Jesus, this is what that looks like. And they, by God's grace, they, God used these people to pierce through her armor, her defendedness. They caused her to say, I, I realize I can no longer authentically float. I've got to land. She was landed, 
she was baptized. Uh, at one point, uh, she, she got married. She ended up marrying the guy that led her to Christ several years later. She taught at Westmont College. She's taught at several universities, went back to Oxford. Anyway, read this book because how does this happen? It happens because people who have landed welcome people who are floating. We can't, we can't talk people in or out of anything. We can't coerce people. We don't guilt them or shame them. We simply invite them. Why? Because we want them to experience the creative work God has made them for. We want them to experience the contagious friendship that they were designed for so they can be part of this imaginative collaboration that God is doing among people who come together in his name because they've landed. And they're committed. And it's messy, messy, messy. But they're convinced that this is the way through to the place of, of uh, living fully. So where do we get this theologically? Uh, out of Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, Paul writes to the people in Ephesus, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You might be sitting here today thinking, I'm kind of an interloper. I'm a visitor. I'm a guest. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm not really part of the community. Uh, most of us, before we become followers of Jesus, are very uncomfortable going to a church. It's an insider thing. Most churches exist for themselves. They say they exist for everybody else. They exist for themselves. And they have all these practices and things that they do that while they're standing, you're sitting, and while you're sitting, they're standing. And somebody will say something, they all know, seem to know what's going on. We all feel like perpetual outsiders until we land. And then Paul says, look, let me remind you, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. He's writing to people primarily who weren't Jewish. So they're saying, we're not insiders. He's saying, you are. Your beloved sons and daughters of the living God. Why? Because you put your faith in Jesus. You are now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. His household. Uh, that word is oikos. Household is oikos. O-I-K-O-S. It's the root for the word economy. Economics. Uh, this is a picture of having been called out. Ecclesia. You know the term ecclesiastical. Uh, it has to do with church. All it is is a word that means Jesus has called us out to follow him, to be part of his community. This is not a human community that we invite Jesus to. This is a Jesus community that he invites us into, a household of faith. And then what does he do? He brings us together, shows us our creative work, helps us develop friendships that are like none we've ever had. And then he sends us back out in an act of intentional and imaginative collaboration. And so he says, this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, this living building, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, as unlikely as it is, as unlikely as you might see yourself as a non-candidate, a nun, you are included in this, he said, because you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is not a community defined primarily by your culture, your language, your ethnicity, your gender, your life experience. It's defined by the person of God calling you as a person to walk with him. And he will sort out your life just like Carolyn Weber found her life being sorted out. 
like a like a, a, a veil being lifted off her face, and now she's seeing things clearly. Uh, you'll you'll love that book, by the way. Uh, more so, you'll love the book of your own life that God's writing. God wants to write a better story in you because you're part of this living, thriving uh, community of faith. And because you're part of that, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing uh, distract you from this. Uh, let nothing move you, head fake you, so discourage you or move you away from focusing on this. Because everything will conspire against you um, doing what God wants you to do. Why? Your own nature is going to say, that's inconvenient, hard, I'm not sure I want to do that. The devil himself will say, you shouldn't do that. It's a waste of your time and effort. Maybe the people who love you most are going to say, hey, this is craziness. Why are you doing this? Carolyn Weber's family flipped out. Her friends flipped out. Oh, my gosh, you're one of them. She said, one of what? One of those people we used, we used to mock and avoid. And then all she could say was, it's not like what we thought. It's so much better. And so let nothing move you. Always then, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me say this. If you uh, are floating, this makes no sense to you. If you have landed, it still might not make sense to you because you'll say, well, I have landed. I have invested in the work of the Lord, and it was nothing but brain damage and frustration. Uh, it's been more complicated being involved in leadership in a church than anywhere else I've been a leader. Why? The church is an emotional minefield. It's, it's filled with traditions and preferences and personalities, and sometimes the people who've been there the longest seem to be um, more focused on themselves and their own relationships and the people who are new. And that's just human nature. The church is the worst community ever created, except for all the others. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm echoing Churchill when he said, democracy is the worst system ever created, except for all the other systems. And so the church is the most dysfunctional, screwed up, uh, brain damaging, frustrating organization, except for every other human organization ever created. And so therefore, by virtue of just being that much better, uh, it is the hope of the world. And so you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'll tell you what, as long as you don't ever get to that place of this was in vain, I think you haven't gone deep enough. You've been living superficially. You can attend a church and still be a nun. I have a friend uh, uh, who was, was a phenomenal speaker, so much so that his whole living was being on planes every, almost every day of the week flying around the world speaking. He was a phenomenal speaker. He's retired now, which is to his relief because he was deathly afraid of flying. He went to every single program ever invented, and he was super smart and articulate. People say, you're the most captivating speaker I've ever heard. You convinced me to change my life. Why are you so afraid of flying? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I really don't fly, I hover. I perch myself over the seat. I'm afraid to put my full weight on the seat. I have the strongest thighs in the planet because I'm doing squats the entire time because I just know if I lean back and sit, the plane will go down. You could be a person like that, going to a church, but not really engaged. If you do that, you might say, I've avoided all those horror stories. Everyone, all my friends have told me, yes, but you haven't gone 
you haven't gotten deep. Love requires us to be vulnerable. Love requires us to be more patient than we think we have the capacity to be. God's great humor is calling me to be a pastor, one of the least patient people on the planet, too. Every time I see somebody from high school, which is rare these days, they're all getting too old to travel. Um, whenever I see a friend from high school, they go, no way, you're a pastor? You're kidding me, they let you be a pastor? And I always correct them, I say, no, they did not let me be a pastor, they made me be a pastor to teach me a lesson of patience. Your labor is not in vain. If you're in a place right now where you're saying, I don't know, I've been burned and I don't wanna go back in. Uh, that burn is just a singe. God is making you stronger and deeper and more mature by putting you into that mix of people who are annoying and obnoxious and desperately needy, but who present beautifully. Everybody in this church looks normal until you get to know them. This is a moment of full disclosure. And so what do we do? We say, yes, but. And we're drowning in our own self-made lake of yes, buts. What do we need? We need help. And the Lord is saying, I'm here to help. I'm here to pull you out of that. I'm here to set you on a firm foundation so that you can face into all those things that would otherwise make it impossible for you to be part of, a, of an intentional um, and imaginative collaboration with the people of God. So here's what it comes down to. Dreams don't work unless you do. A glorious vision is just that until you start moving. So what do you do? You start moving. You start. You begin. Everybody who's ever taken on a big challenge says, oh my gosh, I don't know now. I, I know I, I, I was all excited about this, but now that I'm at the beginning of it, I don't know what I should do. Everyone in this room, if you were hearing, hearing that person and they said, what would you tell me to do? What would you say? Start. Just start. And what's it about? Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw a wild word in here that doesn't seem to fit. Career. It's about your career. Now you might say, well, are you talking about my occupation? I'm saying no. It's better than your occupation. I'm talking about your career. Here's what I mean by that. The word career comes from the Latin caris, C-A-R-R-U-S, meaning a two-wheeled vehicle. By the 16th century, so if in the first century and earlier it was a two-wheeled vehicle, by the 16th century, Keras had shifted into the word we know as career. What is a career? It's a road or a race course for the two-wheeled vehicle. Your life is your vehicle. Your career is a road you're on. Where is it taking you? Who are your companions? What are the necessary tasks you're facing at this point in your career? Your whole life constitutes your career. If we were to interview one of the kids uh, in the children's area, we pulled out a six-year-old, a five-year-old, and said, hey, tell me about your career. They might start laughing and go, career, I think that's what my parents have. No, you have a career. It's everything you've done up till this point in your life. Oh, well, back in my nonverbal stage, <laughs> in the early part of my career when I was more nonverbal, I just tended to put a lot of stuff in my mouth. I touched everything, I pulled things down, it was really fun. Expensive for my parents, but very fun for me. Now that I'm in my pre-literate mode, I'm in the pre-literate stage of my career, I act like I'm reading the story to my parents when they're really reading it to me. I'm looking forward to moving on into further development of my career. You get the idea of this? So your career is, the, is like the word that Paul is using, saying, hey, your work in the Lord is not in vain. Your work is your career. It's the whole of your life focused on you living your life 
in Christ, no matter what you do. Everything you do counts in your, in your career in Christ. The total makeup of you is who you are in Christ. This is why people who are super good at one thing get in trouble and they say, I want to haul past for everything else in my life. I got to tell you, every friend I've ever had that became uh, a professional athlete has had to overcome the scholarship mentality at some point. Because as long as they produce at a high level, everybody around them took care of them. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people, former military people, who would say, everything was about my mission. Now that I long, no longer do that mission, I'm sort of at sea. I don't know how to do most things. I left that to my wife, to other people, to figure that out. Your work of the Lord is the sum total of your entire life. How's that going for you? Let me give you some clarifications. Whining is not work. Wishful thinking is not work. Wringing your hands in worry is not work. Waiting around for somebody else to do something is not work. I got to tell you, this bums me out because these are the things I'm very, very good at. I excel in these things, and to think that they do not count as work is very disturbing and disappointing to me. Uh, maybe you feel the same way. Uh, Titus to the rescue. Uh, maybe you've never read the book of Titus. I didn't know it was in the Bible until this week, so I'm stoked that you'd be able to quote it. Um, um, Titus was like Timothy, a young pastor that Paul was mentoring. He's in a very difficult situation. And so Paul says, look, Titus, remember this. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Titus's attitude was, these people are impossible. And, and Paul's saying, exactly. Exactly. That's why we sent you there. Uh, they need God's mercy through you. He said, because the Lord saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It wasn't a trophy ceremony. You're so awesome, we'd like to acknowledge that, just give you this trophy. We'd like to give you faith in Jesus, Jesus right? Baptism isn't a trophy moment. Um, this, this next week, um, about a week from now, we'll be in, in, in Israel, and one of, the, one of the young guys going on that trip in our congregation Grew up Jewish several years ago, became a follower of Jesus. He's going to be baptized in the Jordan River. It won't be a trophy moment. Well, I'm here to claim Israel as my own. Uh, he's, he's going to say, I have died to myself. I am now alive in Christ. I repent. I confess. I receive. You see the beauty of that? When we're that honest and vulnerable, God lifts us up. None of our work becomes in vain after that because it's simply God saying, would you be my partner in what I'm doing in the world? A world that needs mercy. Would you, would you commit yourself to that imaginative collaboration that help you think outside the box? Like Tuvia Zareski said, I'm a new follower of Jesus. It's the early 70s. How do I reach all my other suburban friends who are... Jews who don't know Jesus. You're going to love two of you, by the way. He's one of the most fun people you'll ever meet. Uh, grew up here in California. He's got this crazy Israeli name, Tuvia Zareski. Um, speaks fluent Hebrew, etc. But it was an imaginative collaboration that said, wow, if God's mercy is this powerful in my life, I wonder if my friends who, are, who grew up Jewish would also benefit from this. So it's the generosity of God that calls us into this relationship that allows us to say, I am committed to understanding what my work in you looks, looks like 
in the company of your people. And so he goes on to say, so that having been justified by his grace, the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S is grace. So your charis, your life is your vehicle. The career is a track you're on. It's the charis, the grace of God that brings it all together. So that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. You can take this to the bank. And Paul says to him, I want you, Titus, to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be super careful, focused, intentional, deliberate to devote themselves to doing what is good. And what is the definition of what is good? Doing God's will. Doing God's will. It's God's will that you would prosper and thrive and flourish. It's God's will that you would take a Sabbath every week. It's God's will that you would take a vacation. It's God's will that if you're married, you have a date night. You start attaching God's will to a lot of things. Good things. It's God's will that you would suffer and sacrifice to advance his kingdom. Why? Because that's the deep satisfaction point. That's where the significance of your life becomes really clear. Your willingness to suffer and sacrifice in the name of love. And not love as an end in itself, but the love of Christ made real in you and through you. And so these things are excellent. These things are profitable for everyone. That means they're worth doing. It's almost uh, the case that you could say there's nothing else more worth doing, except that it's everything. So everything you currently do ends up being part of this movement of what God is doing. So working out your faith is your life's work. Let that sink in. Working out your faith in every aspect of your life is your life's work. So if you ask a business person, oh, did you have to stop becoming a, uh, being a business person to do your work in Christ? No, no, no. That's my work in Christ. I live it out in, in my life as a business person. If you ask a scientist, did you have to stop being a scientist? No, no. It made, it made me a better scientist. Did you have to stop being whatever? No. It made me a better version of, of what God is uh, doing in my life. His work is making me the person that reflects him in everything I do. And when I fail, when I fall, when my fallibility shines through, he helps me recover. And so really, it's the Holy Spirit doing God's work of new creation in our life. But guess what? All of us have a significant contribution to make. Nobody gets a hall pass in the sense that if, you get, if you're granted a hall pass, you miss your life. One of the bummers of being desperately sick the last couple weeks is I missed out on so many things. Um, I, I, and, and, and it was fun hearing all the stories of all the great things that were happening. And I was happy to hear how great everything was. It's supposed to be at Lauren's birthday party to celebrate her turning 30, our daughter. It's supposed to be there for Miles' first birthday. Could be there. Friends had dinner last night. I couldn't go. I just couldn't talk. When, 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 if we were to say, God, I don't want to have to do all this stuff that Steve is implying, you'll miss your life. To live a life, you'll miss the life that is God's best gift to you. So we need to overcome two things, fear of missing out, FOMO, and fear of moving on, FOMO. We all have a significant contribution to make. Uh, a king one time said, I, I, I want to bless the people in my kingdom. Uh, I'm going to have a big party. I'm gonna, the, the, the choicest foods, the most beautiful uh, 
setting I can create, which I do on a regular basis for, for, for other people, other kings. I want to do for my people. I'll provide everything. All I'm asking is, is that all the people coming to this banquet bring uh, some wine. And we're going to mix it all together and make the best cuvee you've ever experienced. Even if you don't drink wine, bring your wine. Well, the day of the banquet, as everybody came in, they were overwhelmed with how beautiful it was. And they could see all the care that the king had gone to, the expense, the consideration, ultimate hospitality. And as he sat there at the tables, and he said, now the wine will be served. As all the servants uh, came out and started serving the wine, it was a shocking moment when everybody realized it's water. Everybody had said in some way, well, my best wine, people will really appreciate it. Others said, my wine won't be good enough. I'm not gonna bring it. And they all swapped out their water, their wine for water. And it was a very sad moment when people realized, my gosh, the king provided all this and invited us to participate. He was honoring us by asking us to participate. He covered for us by knowing that if he made a giant mixture, everybody's wine would be better. And yet we fail to do the simplest thing he asked of us. This is our dilemma when it comes to our creative work and these contagious friendships reflected in imaginative collaboration. You see, God is at work in the world and inviting you to join him. There's no excuse except for your pride, your fear, your hurts, whatever. It stops you from being a part of this. If you said, Lord, I would have done it, or I would do it, but man, I've been, I've been hurt. I've been burned in the process of doing God's will. And Jesus would say, I know what you mean. I'm with you, man. I know exactly what you mean. I came into the world, and the world that I came into rejected me. The world that I was willing to lay my life down for distanced himself from me. I know what you mean, but it's still worth it. So we must commit to the work. Uh, and God, God doesn't expect us to do a work that's beyond our capacity. He expects us to simply be fully present to him in the work he's calling us to do. You don't know where your work will lead. That's one of the great things about everybody's story. When you talk about where they are and say, how did you get where you are? It's never linear, is it? There's a lot of accomplished people in this congregation, most of you, all of you, in some various ways. And when young people hear your story, they go, just tell me the linear pathway. And you'll chuckle, right? You'll go, well... I'd like to tell you it's a linear pathway, but this disaster, this failure, this disappointment, this, and, and even now what I'm doing is really difficult, but I'm hanging in there because I know it's what I'm supposed to do. And every young person goes, seriously? It's that hard? And you would say, yes it is, but let me add to that, it's that good. So imaginative collaboration means sharing the work with our friends, what I cannot do on my own. If you've ever done any climbing, if you're on a major peak on your own and you start sliding, it's hard with your little flimsy ice axe to stop and do an ice axe of rest when you're hurtling down a slope. But if you're on a mountain and you, and you start sliding and you start to do an ice axe of rest, the person who has you tied in also does one. And the one above them does one and also boom, uh, you're saved. So creative work plus contagious friendship equals imaginative collaboration. I would love it, as I wrap this up, that if you could say, if asked, hey, in your congregation, the church you're a part of, the community that you've landed in, uh, what do you experience? 
I would love it if, if we could say each one of these things and really mean it. That is, in my congregation, I'm encouraged to join in and participate. In my congregation, my spiritual needs are taken seriously. In my congregation, I have the opportunity to contribute. In my congregation, I receive recognition and affirmation. In my congregation, people care about me as a person. That'd be awesome. Now, let me just add one check to this, and that is, if you can't say that, it might be that you haven't landed in the community. You're hovering over the seat. You haven't committed. You're, you're attending, but you're not entering in. Now, if you have fully committed and you're saying, it's hard for you to affirm these, then we need that feedback to say, what can we do better so that that's not the case? How can we make it possible for you to affirm what your congregation experience is? The rest of it goes like this. In my congregation, I receive help in my spiritual growth. Uh, my opinions and ideas matter. Let me add a little caveat here. The fact that you have opinions and ideas certainly matter. They don't always reflect immediately in what you think should happen. We have a very complex, as I said, emotional minefield of people. Uh, if you want to know what, it like, what it's like to have the most complex job in the world, talk to Bill Pearson, a junior high pr uh, principal at Stanley Middle School. Every parent concerned about their kids has an opinion and an idea about how to do a better job. And they're all easy, right? Implement them like that. Yeah. So your, your opinions and ideas matter. They matter in the sense that we need that feedback, but we need to then also um, process that in the, in, under the context of our mission and how we get there. In my congregation, my participation is important. In my congregation, I see others committed to grow and give. In my congregation, I have new friends in my congregation. Do you see the power of this? This is what that creative work and contagious friendship and imaginative collaboration looks like on the ground, fully functional going forward. So let me finish by saying this, community serve day. You already heard it described. Why is this important? Why is this important? Can we afford to do this? And of course, the, the better question is, can we afford not to do this? Because as we step out, as you heard it said earlier, we're not only trying to respond to very real needs in the community, we're also connecting with each other. One of the funny things is, 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 is small a church as we are, it's easy to miss people in this church. You're gonna meet people in, in, in this church that you've never met before on Community Serve Day. Uh, just recently, uh, Jackie Riley and Sean Ellis met. Now, Sean is a head usher. Jackie's been involved in everything you can imagine. For years, they've gone to the same church. They didn't meet until Jackie a month ago joined Sean's company. Hey, you look familiar. And they figured out, my gosh, we go to the same church. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, Tom Sowers was sitting next to some guy in, in business class flying to Chicago, and they get to Chicago early. And of course, you know, um, um, uh, O'Hare Airport rewards all flights coming in early by making them circle the airport for 40 minutes. <laughs> and so uh, Tom and this guy are sitting next to each other, they hadn't talked at all, and now that they're gonna fly around O'Hare for 40 minutes, they start complaining about the, I should, I should say, they start consulting with ideas that the airport, the air airline could adopt. And then they started talking about their, their own lives, and pretty soon they figured out they both went to the same church. 
So he and Kevin Weber going, you don't go to my church. I've never seen you. Well, what service do you go to? They went to two different services of a small church, had never met. Community Serve Day is going to connect you to people. It's also going to connect our thinking to the way God is seeing the community. That our presence is significant unless we make it otherwise. We make it insignificant by never connecting with the community. We make it significant by simply being present to the community and doing very mundane things with a willing heart. And part of the payoff is that you get to be with people that, oh my gosh, I know that person now. But the other part of it is somebody in that community is gonna say, I'm glad people like this care about our community. Why did they do this? Why did they give up a Sunday for a few hours to come do whatever you're gonna do? So Community Serve Day is just one example of imaginative collaboration, reflecting contagious friendship and the creative work that God has called each one of us to. So thank you and God bless you for being people who embrace this, who, are, who have stopped floating and have landed and are committed in experiencing that your work in the Lord is not ever in vain. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and thank you for the privilege of being in this community, for being able to experience life together in you. I pray, Lord, that you'd expand our perspective of what you're doing in our lives, uh, the ordinary, mundane, day-to-day -day lives that we live. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to have a larger perspective for what you're doing in this community. And Lord, we commit ourselves as a church uh, to be better together because we honor and glorify and worship you. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. As the, this brings us to a time of tithes and offerings as the ushers come forward. Just want to reflect on all the things that are going on around here. And if you want, there is a March schedule sitting in the foyer. But really that the church is not an organization. We're an organism. And organisms bring life to those things around them. We get together. We do these life groups. We do these services. We, we have volunteers going all the time. These are some great opportunities to connect. So if you're a lady or you know ladies or if you're a woman and you know women, get them to the women's tea. It's going to be a great opportunity to sit around a table and connect with people that you don't know. To connect with people in the church that you've been, maybe been going to for a decade and haven't met yet. And also, just as a reminder, uh, there will be no services here next week. No services. This is the public service announcement. However, we are answering the call to be a service to our community. What an honor and privilege to be that organism, to be that body of Christ that goes into the community in which we live and bring light into the darkness. It's amazing that San Diego tops the top 10 for least Christian cities in the United States. And this is our opportunity to be the hands, to be the feet, to be the life-giving organism in this community. As the ushers get ready to come around, if you have your bulletins, you can take your prayer and connect card and you can place that in the basket. Uh, if you're a visitor, come see me out at the table. But as a reminder, no services next week. And in, the women's tea sign-up is going right outside. And if you want more information about community survey, there's a table outside for that as well. So let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much that you've given us the honor and privilege to be in this community at this time and in this place. 
Lord, as we go forward to being your hands, to be your feet in this community. It's not easy for some and it's easier for others, Lord, but we do it in your name. We do it for your purposes. Lord, we are commissioned to go out and be your hands and feet, to make disciples of all the nations. Lord, we just thank you for these offerings and these tithes that are about to be received, Lord, that we just give them in your name. We give them for your, for your gospel as we partner with you in what you're doing here. We ask this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.
sing out with us as we just celebrate the Lord's grace this morning.
Now, let me ask you one question. How do you know what Jesus has done for you? If you don't land, you'll never know. If you don't draw close to the community, you won't get the feedback or the perspective you need. You only know what Jesus has done for you when you're paying attention to what Jesus is doing in you. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. May the Lord surprise you and delight you as he helps you understand that his grace is sufficient, that he is enough. And now may the Lord do that. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.